that there is no God greater than him. No one is greater than him. No thing is greater than him. For he is what the young people would refer as the goat, which is meaning the greatest of all times. He is the greatest of all times. He is over all things. Everything existed. If it wasn't in existence, if it wasn't for Jesus, it wouldn't be in existence. He is above all, and everything was made through him and in him. And so today we start a new series called The Highest. The Highest. Christ above all things. We'll be uh, spending a good a lot, a lot of time in, in the Word um, the next several weeks. We'll be eight weeks in just one book. This is the first time that I've actually preached through a series in just one book here at this church. But I feel like God is just uh, calling us to spend this time in just one book. And that is a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And this book is Colossians. It's right after Philippians. It's in uh, the New Testament. Uh, in my Bible, it's uh, 465. That really doesn't help at all, does it? Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, right after Philippians. Um, um, I love this letter. Actually, many um, talk about this as one of the most important letters that Paul wrote. And people, of course, went back and forth on on how really important it is. But the reason why they say it is is because it talks about the supremacy of God, the supremacy of Christ, and what that means to our life. And I think that as we go through this over the course of eight, eight or so weeks, we will understand why this is very important, why we need to make sure that Christ is the all-powerful, the, the most, the highest in our life the greatest in our life. Because if he is anything below that, he's in the wrong place. And you would be considered sinning if that would be the place that you put him. Anywhere you put him below the greatest of all times is the wrong place. For he is, should be at the top of everything in your life. And so we'll be in uh, Colossians 1 this morning. And we'll just kind of be journeying through the book um, as the weeks go by. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Colossae. This is where Colossians is written to, this town, this, uh, this city. Uh, we talked about this whenever I talked about lukewarm, being lukewarm and what that means. This city was not known for being lukewarm. This was known for the cold waters that came. This was a refreshing waters, a refreshing drink. It could be used for a lot of good things. And so this morning as we dive into Scripture, as we uh, begin to unpack what Colossians is and what Paul was uh, writing to his original audience here, may we think about when we go to this, we're going to the source of all life, the living water, the one that really will quench your thirst and you will never thirst anymore. He talks about that. Jesus said that this is the living water that no one will, uh, that will, no one will thirst anymore. And so as we go into this word this morning, may we go to the greatest source of life-giving water that is found in the highest, the greatest which, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we'll be in Colossians 1. We'll be reading 1 through 14 this morning. 
Colossians 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you have heard it and understood the grace of God in the truth, just as you learned it from Ephraim, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing unto Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the all-endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and so this morning as we as we think about this what what Paul is writing to he's writing to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae because he was writing to all the Christians in the world or in in Colossae in that that region of Rome And so he's writing to the saints and the faithful brothers. The saints and the faithful brothers. As we think about that, it's mentioned saints multiple times throughout this. And and so I want to hit on this because I think that a lot of times in our our translations, we, we read saints and we think something different. Because when we think about saints, we think about those who have gone before us, right? Yeah? Those who are faithful that have given of their life, you know, to service for Jesus. We think about saints. You know, there's been saints that's gone on before us. That's not what it's saying here. This isn't the use of saints. Actually, a better translation of this word in the Greek would be the holy ones. The holy ones. He's writing to the holy ones, the faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. He's addressing the unseen. See, he's addressing the unseen and the seen. He's addressing the spiritual realm of God and the heavens. And he's addressing the faithful church in Colossae. And then he goes on and he talks about how he's thankful for Colossae. The Christians there and their faith in Jesus Christ. See, we need the church not sure that you're aware of that, but we need the church. In verse 3, Paul starts t- thanking God for the church. And a little bit of understanding about Paul and his relationship here. 
Paul has never stepped foot in Colossians. He's never talked to them. But yet he's thankful for the church there. Because his friend, his faithful minister, went and planted a church there and would report back to Paul and Timothy. And Paul and Timothy were thankful for the report that they heard from their brother. Think about that. They were thankful for a church that they actually haven't been there in physical form with. A lot of people are so closed-minded about the church that they think that their church is the greatest, right? That Dan River Westland Church is the best church in Eden. Guess what? We are a part of a grand church, a global church. We're just one little small grain of sand in this huge beach when it comes to the church. It's not just about Dan River Westland Church. It's about the Church of Eden. And Paul got that. May we get that. May we understand that we need the church, but it's so bigger than, than the bricks and mortar. It is a, a people, a called out ones, the ecclesia, gathered and sent for his goodness. And so when we read about in verse 3 that they thank God for the church in Colossae, they go on to verse 4, it says, and we heard of your faith. See, Paul was, has been considered that he was in prison at this time, or at least on house arrest, and he hasn't um, actually met them. But yet he is thankful for them because of this believer who shared the gospel to the Colossians. Paul later describes this man as being a servant, a servant-hearted uh, leader who would give his life to these Christians. He served in Colossians, in Laodicea, and Hierapolis. My question to you this morning is, do you truly love God's church? If you truly love God's church, it doesn't just revolve around this church. God's church is made up of all kinds of believers. Some that look like us, some that uh, clap on one and three, some that clap on two and four. <laughs> right? There's a difference for those that didn't realize that. Like most of our African-American brothers and sisters and our uh, Hispanic brothers and sisters, they don't clap on one and three. They clap on two and four. But guess what? They are just as much a part of the body of Christ. Right? So God loves his church. May we love his church. I think it was uh, Augustine. Uh, many people argue on who actually quoted this. Um, but nonetheless, the quote is this. No man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. I've always loved that quote. You can't love God and hate the church. It's not possible. Many, many people you know, think about, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Well, the Bible calls you a liar whenever you say that. I read this quote uh, Jill actually shared it this morning on Facebook, and I wanted to read it this morning to you. It's by a man named Rick Mullins, Rich Mullins. Uh, he was the, the author of the song Awesome God, which came out in the 90s, I believe it was. It says this, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite, because no one goes to church because you're perfect. If you got it all together, you don't need to go. You can just go jogging with all those 
perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together, that you need their support, and you need their direction, and you need some accountability, and you need some help. The reality is, is we need the church And those who say that it's filled with hypocrites, guess what? You are right. You're right. Because we don't have it all together. There is no perfect person other than Jesus Christ. We don't have it all together. (laughs) And actually, I I would challenge us as a church to say that this place is for no perfect people. No perfect people should be allowed here. Only a perfect God that we worship. And so really, whenever you say hypocrites, you know, (laughs) we don't have it all together. We're striving our best, but we fall because of sin. And we try to not live for the flesh, but live for the spirit. And many of us might think that we're perfect. And yes, God is perfecting us, sure. But we're not done until we reach glorification. And so we need the church. Not only that, but we also need what Paul and Timothy did for the church in Colossians. We need prayer. We need what I call a prayer covering. Have you ever thought of how the Apostle Paul and Timothy covered this church in prayer? He says that we are praying for you. We are constantly praying for you. Now that doesn't mean that they're always sitting and uh, you know, praying and never stop. No. As they were going about their life, they were mentioning the Colossians and other churches around the area in prayer. But see, the reality is, is that we need Paul and Timothy's in Dan River Westland Church. Do we have them? It's a good question. You've heard me talk about Pastor Don Daywall. This is Hannah's grandfather. Recently, we started talking about how he's a praying man. He loved to preach. He can preach. He had these big old hands. I mean, huge, enormous hands. They'd reach out with and shake your hands, and he would pray and, and do all these great things. But one thing that he was known most for was his prayer life. You knew that he was not very hungry whenever he prayed for a meal. <laughs> At least that was a joke because he kept on and on. But it was because that was his relationship with the Father. He was praying to his father, and he did it daily. And I knew without a shadow of doubt that that man was praying for me. He was praying for his granddaughter. He was praying for his, his friends. He was praying. I remember um, my first encounter with Matt Smith here. He talked about how Don Dewalt was there for him. He prayed for people by name. Whenever he left, when he went to glory, We weren't just missing a grandfather. We weren't just missing a a, a pastor. We were missing prayers. Like we felt, we talked about as a family that not only did we miss him, but we're also missing his prayers because there was a certain amount of prayer covering that we believed that he was doing every single day. And we saw all kinds of things restored through our family. And I believe it was because he was faithful. He prayed for us. Think about that. The life of this church. I've heard over the course of a year now 
Tomorrow will be a year that we have been the pastors at Dan River Westland Church, July 8th, which by the way, this is a significant day for me. 7707, I was married to my beautiful wife. So we celebrate 12 years today. <laughs> but one thing I've heard as I've been your pastor for a year is a, a man's name. A man that was a prayer warrior in this church. And that is James Patterson. He was one of the faithful brothers who covered this church in prayer. I've heard stories about how people would come in this sanctuary and, and see him praying. You heard that from Jason Tuggle a couple of weeks ago. You know, I've heard stories about every Saturday night he comes into this place and he prays. Very similar to Pastor Daywalt used to do the exact same thing. And actually at the parsonage where the family was raised at, uh, Don's wife would say, why does he have to pray so loud? You know God can hear you. They could hear it all the way across. The same goes with James Patterson. He would come in here and he would thunder pray. But he would be at this altar and he would lift up those names. Names of people that needed salvation. Names of people that needed comfort. He would call you by name. Many of you probably have been lifted up to, in this church by James Patterson. The reality is, is that James has already gone to glorification. He's already looking the Savior in the face and worshiping Him. But those prayer coverings are gone. Who will be the James Patterson? Looking and thinking back, I started to think back and connect some dots. This church has went through a lot of things, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Maybe it's because we've lacked prayer covering. Maybe we need that. To move forward, we need prayer covering. We need intercessors. And I believe that we have some intercessors in this church. And I turn to y'all on occasion. But y'all need to be praying over each and every one of the people that is, calls this home. That's what Paul and Timothy did for the Colossian church. May others rise up. We need prayer covering. We also need growth. I know some of you are thinking, okay, yes, we want the church to grow. We get that. You're a young person. You're coming in. You want to see the church grow. Yes, I do want to see the church grow. And I've stood here on many occasions and said, listen, I don't own a magic wand. <laughs> and I'm not here and I, it's just going to magically grow. But what I can uh, assure you is that we will point, I will point you to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is more than capable of growing his church. And I believe that. In the 90s, the church growth movement happened where people said, you know, you could do this and that and that, and it'll grow the church. And they began to uh, operate about numbers, numbers, numbers. Now, I do believe numbers matter. Don't get me wrong. That's why we do track some numbers in the, the bulletin. You see how many people showed up for Sunday school. Uh, you see how many people showed up for Sunday worship, those type things. We do care about numbers, but that, that's because those numbers represent a soul. And that's what's important to God. And if that's important to God, it should be important to us. But it's not just about numbers. We need growth. We need spiritual growth. 
What I get more excited about is when I see people discipling other people. Because we can all come and just gather and, and sit in our pews, right? But that's not what we're called to do, truly. We're called to disciple one another, to be there for accountability, to lift each other up, to challenge one another. We need spiritual growth. What are we growing in? Are we growing in spiritual growth because of Jesus Christ in our life? Paul talks about this in verse 9. It says that Paul prayed that this young church in Colossians will grow in knowledge. Verse 9, it talks about, So from that day we heard that we, have ceased, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we also should grow in holiness. Verse 10 says, And to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then also in spiritual power, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. We need growth. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Many of you think, okay, well, it talks about knowledge. And maybe you're thinking, okay, head knowledge. That's not what it's actually talking about. Yes, you should grow in knowledge and it should affect your thoughts and things like that. But it was much deeper than that. It was actually, this knowledge affected the way you live. The way you do things. The way you think. The way you talk. Those type, that knowledge that you discover the will of your Father and you do what His will is for your life. That is what Paul was praying for, that they would grow in maturity. And then we also need family. You've heard me say that we are family. Many of us weren't raised in this church. Some of us were called to this church. But we are family. And we need family. Verse 12 talks about this. That we are qualified through Jesus Christ to share in the inheritance. See, as non-Jews, this is written more towards the Gentile community. And the Colossians would have been considered outsiders in God's blessing. But see, if you go and you study the central truth of the gospel of Paul, you will see that Christ's death and resurrection brought salvation for all who believed. That includes Jews and Gentiles alike. And we are now invited into the inheritance of the family of God. We are no longer slaves to fear, but we are now children of God. We can call out to God as Father and say, Father, we call to Him as a child. So we need a family. We need growth. We need prayer. We need each other. But we also need deliverance. We need deliverance. You can't do it on your own. (laughs) You need Jesus. Jesus is the one in verse 13 delivers us out of the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. A kingdom is a place where someone has rule or governance. The same is true of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in his prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is where God's will is carried out. And Jesus came full of grace and truth, bringing the kingdom of God with him. And we can now be transferred from the kingdom of darkness that was sin-rooted, that was 
uh, Satan ruled and all these things that we uh, were misguided in, all our selfish ways, all those things that we live for. And now through Jesus Christ, we can be transferred into the kingdom of the Son, the kingdom of God, both here and now and then also then. We can experience it now. Like that's what Paul was saying. He's not talking about the coming Jesus. right? Not, he's not just talking about this coming kingdom. He is saying that you can be transferred now from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now. And we need that deliverance. But we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that he did it. It wasn't anything that we do. In fact, if we really go throughout the narrative, the story of the Bible, we see that people messed up over and over and over again. They tried to do all different kinds of things, and many times they tried, and they tried to make things right, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't achieve it. It was in Jesus Christ that we have redemption that we have forgiveness of sins. So how do we get forgiven in Christ? How do we enter into the kingdom in Christ? We need to have Jesus as our authority. So as we think about the highest, how Jesus is above all things, is he ultimate authority of your life? As you look and you study the Greek here, you can see that this Greek word that's used here, as it's talking about transferring from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you see it's referred to authority, the holder of authority or the sphere of authority. Paul means that through Christ, our ultimate authority has changed. We were once under the authority of darkness of Satan, of sin, of death. But now through redemption and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we can be brought into the kingdom of light under the authority of Jesus. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Is He the Lord of your life? Or are you still trying to live for yourself? Because the more and more you try to live for yourself is the more you're wrapped up in the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is a real place. It's one that you read about even from the very beginning to the very end. But there is also a kingdom that's above that. And that's the kingdom of God, the Son's kingdom, the kingdom of light. That Jesus came and overthrew death. He conquered the grave for and he wants you to experience it with him. He wants you to be in the kingdom. My question to you this morning is, do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus this morning? Maybe you're going through some things in life. And you're like, yes, that's me. I find myself being gripped by the powers. We've talked about this in, in church before that we really don't battle between flesh and blood. That's actually what the world tries to make you think, right? That's what social media likes to make you think even, that it's a battle against flesh and blood. No, it's not. 
Our war is about the powers, the rulers, the authorities of this dark kingdom that Paul is talking about here. That's what we're up against. But Jesus Christ breaks it, overthrows it, and he welcomes us in through him into the kingdom of God. And so whatever you're going through, Jesus is greater. Whether you're experiencing uh, pain, Jesus is greater. Whether you're experiencing frustration, Jesus is greater. Maybe your, pe- your parents are battling and, and fighting, Jesus is greater. Maybe your marriage is falling apart, Jesus is greater. Maybe you're in a job and you feel like you're stuck, Jesus is greater. Maybe your home life isn't what it should be, Jesus is greater. Maybe you're experiencing with depression or addiction or whatever it is, Jesus is greater. And he wants, you to, ta- he wants to take you from the darkness into the light. And so this morning as we close, I just want to open up the altar that you can come and pray, be prayed for. Maybe God's just calling you to, to step forward to, to confess your sins and experience in that redemptive power that's found in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you haven't experienced it ever in your life. The altar's open. But not only that, I think that the saints, you know, the, the people of this church, you know, us, the ecclesia, maybe you're just struggling. God wants you to come and be prayed for. So this is for everybody. If you're just going through a hard time right now and you just need to be lifted up, may you come. Because the reality is, is we need each other. We need each other and we need Jesus Christ. So the altar is open. May you come. God, your will be done in this place. God, your kingdom come as it is in heaven, here in Eden. I believe that there's somebody here that's struggling and I pray that you would work on their life right now in this moment and I believe there's people that's going through a lot they've just been carrying a lot on their life and I pray that they would just relinquish that and give you control calling out to is it you that needed to hear that word this morning that Jesus is above all things is it you that you needed to hear that he has ultimate authority is it you that needed to hear that what the world says of you and defines you as is an ultimate authority What the world says has no reign on you. But what Jesus says and declares of you is all truth. Is what you needed to hear this morning. Is it you? Come.
experience the kingdom of God this morning.